Salam, I'm Alex, a small business owner and entrepreneur, and this is the Awea podcast show where every episode you will hear an amazing Muslim woman's story of how they got started in their career and how they can help you take your first step to your amazing journey. and welcome to a We Are podcast. This is your host, Alex Khoury, and I'm here to share with you amazing stories of Muslim women and what they've gone through to get to where they are today. And today's special guest is Michael Corning, was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. She embraced Islam in 1999 and started her modest fashion business in the year 2000. She has worked in corporate America for over 20 years in back-to-back sales and client services in the high-tech, human capital, and business management consulting and research. Her human-centric business philosophy has always been, if you win, I also win, to foster an environment in which women succeed. Wow. So that's really empowering there. If you win, I also win. Um, tell me more about this philosophy. I just wanted to know more. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that um, I've really thought about for the last 20 years, but I would say the last probably 10 has been kind of where I've more cultivated it. Um, not just with my corporate career, but also with my modest fashion business. And when I started it, there were other two other women locally who are my close friends who also had modest fashion businesses. And this is way before anyone said modest fashion. It was either Islamic fashion or like yeah, like way before now. Yeah, yeah. Now modest fashion is like a whole thing, but this was like a smaller subset of it. Um, what uh, Nihal, she was, uh, she's, she is Lebanese American, um, one of my closest friends. And then Sabika is uh, Pakistani American, also one of my closest friends. They have businesses as well, Islamic fashion businesses. And we used to do a lot of stuff together. And we just never, we never felt like, you know, we obviously all sell hijabs, but we all had our own like uh, style and where we got our product and everything. And so we, we felt like we were stronger in numbers and that was the case. So we would do like, you know, hijab parties, you know, kind of like the, the modern version of a Tupperware party and we would come together. And I <laughs> This is like pre-social media. And we would put out flyers and emails saying that, you know, Michael and Nihal and Sabika, we're going to, you know, do, uh, whatever a hijab party. And you're welcome to come from this time to this time at this person's house. And, you know, ladies only kind of a thing. And, and it was just, in fact, I was written about because of the hijab party, uh, from the Seattle times right after nine 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have like a bunch of article clippings, but anyway, so, so that's just part of it. And also knowing that like at the end of the day, that your sustenance is really determined by Allah, by the creator. So mm-hmm. why have this unnecessary competition Right. Um, And so, I mean, even actual like huge brands that are supposedly competitors do collaborations. So why, why those of us who are kind of, you know, frankly, small potatoes compared to other brands, why can't we do that? Right. So, um, and in, and in terms of like uplifting women, that's how you, that's how you uplift women. That's how you uplift Muslim women is by Mm -hmm. working together. And um, we're, I really feel like we are stronger in numbers than yes. are individually or collectively or individually rather versus collectively. So at the end of the day, that's really about like, you know, if, if I see someone winning in the community, then I'm part of that community. So of course I'm winning too. Right. And it just gives you more momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, and the very last part um, about this is entrepreneurship, which I really, really feel very strongly that 
you know, I live in Seattle, 99.9% of my friends work at Microsoft, Amazon, Boeing, like these are the big sort of technology tech focused um, organizations. And most of my friends work in those organizations and that's great. And they make great money and they, you know, have mm-hmm. great benefits, but where, how we're going to change our condition as a Muslim community is, a, is by being entrepreneurs. And so if I create a brand, I can employ other women and have an environment and a culture within that organization that really fosters, you know, an equitable workplace versus yeah. me going and working for the man, supposedly, you know, like technically, yes. literally. <laughs> so there is, it's, it's multi-pronged that, that kind of motto that I've lived by. And, you know, you told us like, or you told me that you lost your job recently and you were, you know, in this kind of corporation. Um, tell me more about that. When did you realize that this wasn't for you and, you know, you yeah. shifted? There? Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it was realized for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and a lot of organizations are very performative when it comes mm-hmm. to their supposed diversity and inclusion. Um, and because I've worked in the HR consulting space, I know way more about this than probably the average person, but you can have an organization from the outside that looks like it's doing all the right things. Like they have ERGs, which are employee resource groups around diversity and women and leadership and all these things. And it can look really good on the outside. And you can even have like a relatively good recruiting experience. But then when you get on the inside, you're like, wow, this place is completely toxic, chauvinistic and right. And so what's interesting is that, um, you know, last organization I worked for was definitely that. Um, and before that, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I worked for another consulting firm that was the exact opposite. They were literally like what they said they were super inclusive, you know, awesome, a small consulting firm in the HR space. They actually just got bought, um, by Ernst and Young, um, at the end of last year. Um, so they obviously were doing a lot of great things. Female CEO, like she worked really hard in the culture. She worked really hard to, you know, live the values that they were putting out there, which takes a lot of effort. It's not about just putting a poster on the wall Mm -hmm. and saying like, these are our values. Like you have to embed those things into every part of your practice. And, um, so the reason I mentioned that is that, you know, when I got that job and I ended up getting um, laid off, which, you know, handed off everything, but the hardest part about me leaving that organization, um, was that in the 20 years that I'd worked in corporate America, that was the first place I'd ever worked. And I was there for two years that I had not been sexually harassed or harassed for being wow. Muslim or both. That's not a great track record. You know, I've worked for some very large organizations with, you know, tens of thousands of employees and a ton of startups and companies in between. And for it to take me 20 years to get to a place where it, those things did not happen, um, is totally ridiculous. And that's why I go back to this idea of entrepreneurship and, um, why it's so important for us as a community to focus on that. And Mm -hmm. again, tech is great. All those things are great. Working for the Amazons of the world are great and creating the environments that we want. Right. Yes. So, you know, what was the point when you said, you know, before you started your company, when you were like, I'm done or I'm not even, I'm done. I just want to start something for myself in this entrepreneurship. You know, for, <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. So, I mean, the reason I started my business, I mean, I had never envisioned it being where it's at today or that I would try to even make it like my full-time thing. Because in the year 2000, when I started, I started it because there were just no options. I, I don't, anyone, I mean, you probably were like, you know, 10 years old or something at that time. But <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> I'm older. Because <laughs> um, I was 11. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just slightly older than you. No. Um, so, in, and, you know, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, you couldn't go to Target or Nordstrom, whatever, and buy things off the rack that really were suitable for Islamic clothing. Right. Um, I remember. Or clothing or whatever you want to call it. Um, so there was that. And then the other, the other kind of flip side of that is that at that time, the Muslim community's definition of what constituted hijab was very narrow. And I think um, in, in many ways too narrow. Um, I, I was definitely one of those people that was like, well, if you're not wearing a hijab and a black abaya, you're not wearing hijab. You know? <laughs> I was like, going to say black abaya. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I was definitely part of that ilk and not in a judgmental way, but like when I decided to wear hijab, like it was kind of like, you know, the full, the full deal. Right. And now we've come to a place where modest fashion is this big. And then the hijab component of that is just part of it. Um, so the pendulum's kind of swung over here. Um, I think that there's like a happy middle between what it was 20 years ago, which is like hijab is this narrow definition. And then now it's like, okay, is that really hijab? Right. So, um, but so at that time, like you had one that the Muslim perception of what hijab was, plus you have, you can't buy things off the rack. And I'm sitting here in corporate America as an, you know, American convert and anything I buy is just not really suitable for my day-to-day job in a telecom company working in outside sales. Okay. So, you know, like I am selling to AT&T and, um, the other, you know, like Western wireless is now T-Mobile. Like I can't have, I can't do this wearing like in a bio with like, you know, let's like heavily embroidered. I mean, that's just not going to work. Right? right. So it doesn't also represent me culturally. So that's why I started my business was like, okay, I need, I need stuff. And then mm-hmm. I looked in the community and like my sisters needed stuff. Like they're just, again, there's no, you couldn't walk into a store here in Washington online was like, like nil from overseas, like Turkey or something. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there was, there was one sister, actually two sisters who were actually American converts living in Kuwait and they had businesses, Mm -hmm. um, online, which they, they might even still have them. Um, but again, it just, it, again, you're, you're shipping something from some other country, you get it, it works great. It doesn't, okay. You're stuck with something. Right. Mm So you know, at the end of the day, like I started my business really because there was a necessity that I had and a necessity that the community had. And it was, and it was fun. Like I was in, I did, I worked in fashion and and that in college. So it was just like an extension of that. Like I'm a Muslim now. And instead of wearing black hot pants, I'm wearing like a black dress, you know what I mean? (laughs) Whatever. So, um, that's kind of the back, that's kind of the backstory. 20 years ago. Was there a time when you were like, eh, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I think I, it's, it's too difficult. You know, what happened? And then how did you get out of that? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely my business has ebbed and flowed based on my own personal life, based on my own financial situation. So if I have a great lucrative corporate job, I tend to like put more money into my business, right? Like that's just, I can buy more inventory. I can whatever. Um, so it definitely has always just kind of been a labor of love until recently. Um, and at, in 2010, I actually opened a brick and mortar store. If you can believe that here in Seattle. And, um, I was working full time in a corporate job. I mean, going to the office every day. And so I had like a group of different girls from the Muslim community working in my store and I would work there on the weekends. 
was every day working. I was yeah. literally working. And then after work, I would go to the, go to my store, mm-hmm. um, until like five, six, you know, from five until like six, seven or whatever, eight o'clock at night. And then I would come home. It was just, it was a lot. And I think yeah. the store, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in my personal life too. So I just, I, that I closed the store in 2013 and that felt, I just felt so defeated to be totally mm-hmm. honest. Like I felt super defeated and I was like, oh my God, why am I doing this? And I also was like, does the community even care? You know, like, do they even want this? Like, I don't know. I mean, I went through a lot of sort of like internal self-doubt to be totally honest in that, mm-hmm. at that time. And again, I think part of it was a reflection of just my own personal life, but um, you know, I mean, that, that was hard. I mean, that was a hard, and it wasn't even like a failure. Like I closed the store because I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just physically, emotionally, I just like, it was too much. It was just too much. I mean, if you're working corporate and also having a store, you know, having a store is just a full-time business anyway. So, um, it's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, and this is part of why I did a rebranding as well is because I realized that people came, a lot of people came to the store because of me. And so my, my brand was intrinsically about me and who I am. And so sometimes people did a lot of their purchasing when they knew I was going to be there, which was good, but it also made it hard on me because I'm like, Oh, like it's the same product, but they wanted that, like, you know, sort of like free stylist with the thing you're going to buy. And, you know, some of my girls were better at that than others. Um, and you know, a lot of the, a lot of the girls were, you know, they made a huge transition in their own, like personal professional, uh, life because of working in the store. And I know that some of them were just so sad when I closed the store because, yeah. you know, it's like, they were given an opportunity to work for like, work for a Muslim, work for a Muslim woman, work in like, uh, you know, modest fashion boutique and, you know, have a lot of experience. I mean, that was the first job for probably like half of the girls that worked there or maybe more, you know, and some of them were coming, you know, I, I I made a conscious effort again, this is like in 2010, I made a conscious effort to hire girls that I felt like represented the diverse, you know, parts of our community. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one at the time we had the second largest Somali refugee community in the country, only second to Minneapolis. And so you know, I made sure that, you know, one of the girls, Fatimina, she, uh, small American, like she didn't know anything about fashion. She never had a job before. And I was like, but I, I could see that she was coachable and she had, you know, she was willing to try. Right. And yeah. she was great. And she was just super sad, but it also helped spark her career and her development, which is again, like why I'm so passionate about entrepreneurship in the Muslim community. Um, I had another girl who is from the Aromo community, also African, um, and you know, again, like didn't know anything about fashion. And this was like, you know, these are very, these were young, like 17, 18 year old young women and, um, things just come full circle. And that's the reason I'm mentioning this is that I was recently in, um, like some major department store and I saw a lady wearing hijab and, and a lot of times I'll like go up to them like, can I give you my car? <laughs> that's great. I was like, I sell hijab. So I gave her my card because again, wear hijab. It's like the, you know, your target audience, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, 
it's one of the best things about, about having this business. But um, I was like, oh, you know, I want to give you my card so and so forth. She's like, oh my God. She's like, my niece used to work for this really cute boutique, blah, 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 blah. Oh, so and I was like, oh my God, I'm the person she worked for. And like this, again, this is like 10 years ago. <gasps> And she's like, your sister, Michael. And I was like, yeah, that's so <laughs> funny. Like, is so-and-so. And I'm like, oh my gosh. She's like, I miss your boutique. I was like, oh yeah, there's no way I could have like a brick and mortar store now. I mean, rents are just way too no, high in mean- Seattle. So <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, so that, that, to me, that was full circle. I was like, wow, like that, that was 10 years ago. And she remembers my boutique. She remembers her niece working in it. So yeah, I mean, I had a couple convert sisters. I had Arab sisters. I had Pakistani. Like I literally tried to bring in. Like being inclusive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and it just, you know, it just, I think part of it is just in my nature, but also knowing that like, I want, I want young women that represent the community. And so, um, yeah, not everybody was, you know, a teenager either. I, I had a couple gals that were closer to my age. So, you know, it, it, it's all good with that. That was a hard kind of like, I remember just feeling so defeated, like packing up the store and like taking everything mm-hmm. home and wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I used to have um, a spa and I had to do the same thing and it was too difficult. Um, and it, you know, having an actual brick and mortar store or a place is like, a, we have to pay rent. You have to, um, oh, okay. take care of employees. And it's oh like, yeah. It's a different challenge you have. But you know what, you, you were the um, person you wanted to be, you know, like the entrepreneur that influenced the younger generation. So I think that's amazing, Michael. I think you should uh, really be proud of yourself <laughs> for that, you know, you influence so many of these girls, I think. So yeah, it's really interesting, interesting to, to think about it and alhamdulillah, I mean, it's a blessing and um, yeah. You know, when you get to be my age, you look back and you're like, oh, that's <laughs> right. why that happened. Okay, Allah, I think I know your plan. <laughs> right, it takes so many years. One percent of it, yeah, exactly. So what are some practices you do to, um, you know, keep your motivation and believe in yourself? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I, you know, I think, I think that this is a hard question too, because I do think that some of these things are kind of like intrinsic to who you are and intrinsic to, you know, how you were brought up and, and, um, some of it is just a mindset. And if you don't have that mindset, it's going to take a lot harder intentional work to get that mindset. Right. And, um, you know, part of that is like what, what people call now a growth mindset, you know, mm-hmm. something you can go Google, um, I also think, you know, I remember about 15 years ago, my Lebanese friend, I love her to death. Um, Lebanese are the best. Yeah. I know. (laughs) (laughs) She moved back to Michigan. It was like very, Oh, sad. Um, Come back to Washington. But I remember um, about 15 years ago when her, when her girls were still really little and she out of the blue asked me, she's like, she's like, how are you so like determined and confident? Cause I want to raise my girls to be the same way. Wow. And I'm like, I, I guess I, you know, this is again, 15 years ago. So I was considerably younger and I hadn't really ever thought about it or even like thought about myself that way. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I really think that my confidence at that time, I was thinking, you know, a lot of it comes from my relationship with my father. 
And this is why I think, you know, having a strong relationship with your father as a woman is so important. And, and it's an interesting, like cultural thing to talk about in the Muslim community. But, um, my father had such an intentional close relationship with my sister and I, and that instilled so much confidence in us that we, yeah, subhanAllah, like, you know, he did things with us that I think a lot of fathers might not do unless we were boys, right? Like fishing Mm. and horseback riding and camping and whatever. My dad did not put limitations on us just because we were girls. And, you know, I, I thought about that. I was like, there's also like, interestingly, now I think about it, there's a psychological safety around having a very strong relationship with your father and how you approach the world, how you approach relationships with men, especially And so, you know, I told her that, that I think a lot of it came from that very close relationship with my father, which, you know, it, again, you can't control some of that stuff as a young person. Right. And that's unfortunate. Um, but I, you know, and then like kind of bringing that forward, you know, now I've been Muslim for over 20 years, alhamdulillah. And I was recently on another, um, another show with a young, a young Muslim convert who has less confidence and, and, you know, gets nervous and stuff with these kinds of podcasts. And I told her, because it's true, like, subhanAllah, like it's a mindset shift when you become a Muslim. Right. And in many ways, I think a lot of ways, I actually just reaffirmed the the ideas that I grew up with, but, and the the values that were instilled in me growing up. And so I didn't feel like I made that big of a shift, but there are some shifts. And one of those shifts is that when you're given an opportunity, whether it's like this podcast or this other live session we were doing, which live can be like more nerve wracking, obviously. Um, I told her, I said, there's no reason to be nervous because this goes back to your belief in Allah in that he puts you in that position for a reason. Mm. So you have to have yaqeen that Allah chose you to be in this position. So you have to have confidence in Allah's choice. Yeah. It was not even confidence in yourself. It's confidence mm-hmm. in Allah putting you in that position. And so I have to remind myself. So like if I'm given an opportunity where I feel like maybe I'm stretching my capabilities or God, like that's going to give me anxiety or make mm-hmm. me nervous, which that's a normal human emotion. Yeah. Remember that Allah chose you to be in that position. So mm-hmm. rise to the occasion, wow. like believe in Allah that he chose you to be in that. So whatever that is, whether it's being in a live or maybe being a panel speaker, which I've done those things. And it can be nerve wracking. You know, I was a panel speaker for a local Facebook event called the Community Boost event. And there were 500 entrepreneurs in audience. And I was one of only like, I think there were three of us on the panel. And I'm like, oh my God, I am going to be- That's (laughs) amazing. I know, this is in 2018. I was like, I am going to be on a panel- and what's so funny is there was a couple Muslims from our community in the audience who were videotaping me. Thank God. I didn't even know they were going to be there and they had no idea I was going to be a panel speaker. And I, you know, and I, and I could have easily been like, oh my God, it's so like, I could have just overthought like, oh my God, I'm going to be on stage and da, da, da. And there's all these mm-hmm. lights and cameras and a- I mean, literally like lights, cameras, action, like 200 Facebook employees, you know, but I was like, you know what? Allah chose me to do this. So I have I rise to the occasion and have confidence and yaqeen that Allah chose me for a reason. So um, that, and and I was telling this young woman, this, and um, who's also in the modest fashion space, she's like, that's a perspective I've never thought of. And it's yeah. not something I came up with, like some, like Sheikha or somebody told me that. And 
It's like, yeah, you, you did like Allah chose you. So just rise to the occasion and have, have that confidence in him really more than yourself. So, um, and you know, there's something to be nervous about. I think, you know, what's interesting, subhanAllah, before I became Muslim, I'd say I was very anxious person, like had a lot of social anxiety, although I was confident, I had a lot of social anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, fear of judgment, all those normal things. Once I became Muslim, it's like, I don't even care what people think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I totally oh, get you. Yes. Yeah. You get it. Cause you, you became Muslim too. It's like, well, if I'm doing the right thing, mm-hmm. if I'm doing the thing that is the right path that Allah told me that these are the right things to do, why do I care what people think? Everyone there, you know, everyone has a tongue, right? This yeah. is like very something that husbands like to remind us of. Everybody's got a tongue. Okay. I might have a very sharp tongue. Um, so, I mean, everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna say something about you. And if you look back in history, a lot of the greatest people, not that I'm one of the greatest people, but it's just perspective. One of, a lot of the greatest people, they have haters. They have people that say stuff, yes. that make up stuff, that lie, that, you know what? Alhamdulillah for those people, because inshallah, that's just adding to my, <laughs> to my bank of good deeds. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just, I try to just not focus on that stuff. I try, but I think some of these things are part of an individual person's personality and you have to do very, whether, whether you're born with confidence or have confidence already, or you struggle, it's an intentional process of, of creating more of that. And, and and a lot of it goes to, um, like growth mindset. It also goes to understanding what is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that I see lacking in the Muslim community. I see it lacking Mm -hmm. in general population. And, and a lot of that is like, your reaction to situations and, and so much of this of how it's not even stuff that was invented recently. I mean, this is, if you just look and study the way that Prophet reacted to things, he had the highest emotional intelligence. Like people come to him. He didn't like right away, like believe people or right away, disbelieve people or like, you know, freak out or no, he would take the information, analyze it, not necessarily have like an immediate emotional reaction like, okay, let me pause, think, ask the right questions. Right. So these are things again, that are intentional and, um, through like understanding your personality type and there's, you know, you can do MBTI, um, the Myers-Briggs test, and there's a many others to understand like, how, how are you as a person? How, you know what I mean? So I think these are some of the things that just trying to understand who you are is learn, part of- learn more about yourself and yeah, learn more about yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. So, and I know Sheikha Tamar Gray, who I, um, she's definitely my teacher and she's a convert. She's been Muslim for over 30 years. Um, she does a project called the Lena Project, which is for converts. And she said, this is the best advice. Like she has us take uh, the MBTI test and understand like, what is our, what is our personality type? Um, because understanding your personality type and how you react to things and how you communicate, how you receive communication understanding yourself is going to under, is going to help you weather the storm, especially as a convert. Mm. And then, you, you know, later you get married whatever. And right. then nine times out of 10, your husband's going to be, be from some other culture. Like these are all things that is going to help you stay grounded in, in that foundation of Islam. Um, and I just think that's a, just a, understanding yourself first and foremost is a great way of, of 
increasing, you know, your confidence or whatever, like your original question, like kind of what do you, what are the practices you do? So to believe in yourself. Yeah. 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 I mean, this whole podcast is just to inspire entrepreneurship basically and women. And, um, are there any things that, you know, if somebody wanted to open a clothing store, is there something else you might say to them? Any last words (laughs) that you might, you know, to, and tell them, you know, what can, what can you do to start your journey? Yeah. So I think with any business, um, I, I get a lot of people messaging me. I'm sure you do too. <laughs> I want to sell Islamic fashion or I want to do this. And I'm like, okay, slow your roll. <laughs> um, if you build it, they will not necessarily come. So, <laughs> you know, don't. That, that's an age there. Maybe <laughs> just age yourself. <laughs> 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 if you build it, they will come. <laughs> oh my god! You probably like who knows that I, reference? Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Um, I think this uh, there's this false impression that if I create a store, if I whatever that whether it's online or brick and mortar, that people are just going to come naturally, and that's yeah. just not the age we live in right now. Yeah. Now that might have been true 20 years ago when there wasn't online when you were the, the only place in town, right? Like yeah. Islamic fashion, like if you're the only store, people are going to go to you, right? Uh, automatically. That's just not the case anymore. And so with any business, my first, um, my first word of advice to people is do your research. So really understand like, what are you doing? What are you doing differently? Um, is this, is there really a need for this? Or are you just excited about the idea of, you know, fill in the blank? Are you excited about the idea of like selling, you know, a bias? Are you excited about the idea of mm-hmm. having a storefront, people walking in and you greeting customers? Like, um, or have you really uh, like uncovered a need that you're trying to fill? And part of that, and, and I, again, this is like the first thing I tell people, I'm like, what is your brand story? Work on your brand story before you start thinking about what you're going to buy and sell, um, the details. And most people are like, what's a brand story? I'm like, that's your first problem. <laughs> if you do not know what I'm talking about. Is do it some research. Yeah. Yeah. You just, do, again, go back to the research piece. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to uh, discourage people, but it's a lot harder than what people I think realize Um, I think when you look at the outside, especially with social media, like we obviously put forward our best photos, our best days, our best, you know, yay, I sold 1200 masks, whatever, right? Like it didn't just happen overnight. (laughs) Let's put tears on the sewing machine. Every night. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Every night. I'm like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you know, good grief. Um, And even then, like, I think, I think about even like this, the fact that I started selling masks per your suggestion. Thank you. Allah bless you. Oh, um, my God, I love you. But like, <laughs> I, you know, other people couldn't necessarily have just made masks and sold them. And I've seen other women who have done that with not as much success. And it's because they haven't built the brand that goes behind it. Right. right. Like the trust and all those things that go along with the brand. Um, so, it, you know, the build, they will come just, it just doesn't exist anymore. And so, um, and, and in terms of modest fashion specifically, um, this is a very competitive space. Fashion in general is very competitive. Modest fashion is equally as competitive. Maybe, 
maybe not quite where other uh, fashion um, genres or whatever are at, but it's still extremely competitive, especially compared to like 10, 15, 20 years ago when we were newer in this space. Um, And so you have to really understand, like, trust me, like I've seen a lot of companies come and go because they're selling, you know, everybody's selling the same crinkle hijab. Guess what? It all comes from the same manufacturer in China. So are you just competing on price? Because you can't compete on price if you are a small little business and somebody else is is buying and selling those in the hundreds or thousands or whatever. Right. And, um, what are you going to be doing differently? And, um, if it's just like, you want to sell things that are cheap, you know, and I think also people really lack some just basic business sense around margins and profitability. Mm -hmm. And like, if you buy something for $50 and sell it for 60, you didn't make any money. Right. And it's like packaging and all. Yeah. I mean, there's a million other factors, right. There's overhead and yada, yada, yada. And so, um, you know, being educated, whether it's through formal schooling or not, you just, you have to do your research. You have to understand the market, um, understand like what's driving you. What's, what are you passionate about? Why are you wanting this business? Why not something else? Right. And so, um, that's a lot of information for someone and hopefully not discouraging, but, you know, lean on people in the community that are, that have successful businesses, right? Yeah. You know, like reach out to the Alex and Michaelas of the world and, (laughs) If we have time, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing, no. um, you know, figure out like what is making those folks successful. Um, and there are and- a lot of businesses now, like um, women-owned business, small business who are Muslim, who are actually there to help you in your business, like yep. business management and advertising and um, oh, setting yeah. up your website and all that. So there's a lot of information out there. Um, so hopefully oh, you can absolutely. You know, find absolutely. that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michaela, for being here. And I hope people learn so much from you. And if they want to get in contact with you, how can they, um, how can they reach you? Michaelacorning.com. <laughs> and what's your Instagram and where can it's they follow same. you? All of it is at Corning. So super simple, my name. And I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, perfect. That'd be great. So yeah, reach out to me. I usually help people. So I, I don't, I'm not one of those. It doesn't answer people's messages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to a we podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and join our Awea tribe. You can also follow me at awea.style on Instagram and Facebook and check out the amazing list of Muslim and women-owned small businesses at awea.com. When you support small business, you support a dream. See you later.